I wonder if you've ever experienced existential angst. <laughs> the, the angst, the dread, the feeling of uncertainty that comes from realizing that you don't know why you exist. What is life about? What is the meaning of your life? What is the purpose of your life? What is the conclusion of your life? Doesn't death mean that your life is ultimately meaningless? That you're just a random fact of the universe? A product of evolution? Chance? Really, your life has no meaning. And one day, you're just going to be snuffed out and it'll be like you were never here. The topic for today, what if we don't just rot is really not just a topic about what happens to you after you die. What you think happens to you after you die profoundly affects how you think of life before you die. If you think death is the end, that you're just going to rot in the ground and be burnt to ashes, that shapes your sense of meaning for this life. It shapes what you think it's all about. And for many people, that sense that one day you are going to cease to exist raises the question, why do I exist? What is the meaning of my existence? And you feel existential angst. Have you felt it? I know I have various times. I'm guessing some of us here have too, maybe even most of us. Maybe for a moment, maybe for a day, maybe for a couple of years. Maybe you're feeling it right now. I have to tell you, the, the time that I, I experienced it most profoundly, I think, was a couple of years ago when I decided to conduct a little thought experiment and I wanted to learn to think like an atheist. Okay? I wanted to understand how life looks and how the world looks if you are an atheist, if you believe there is no God, there is no life after death, and so on. So I got me a little bit of Richard Dawkins and I started reading and I really tried to be persuaded by it and I started to think about life like this. And you know, the first thing that struck me was how depressing it felt when I realised there's no life after death, there's no God looking out for me, there's no actual purpose and meaning to my life and everything I do one day will be cancelled by death. And I found that to be a scary feeling, a scary thought. Maybe you think that way now. Maybe you have thought that way. What do you do with that? Well, it's somewhat surprising, it was to me at least, to find that thinking like an atheist resonated quite strongly, in fact, very strongly, with this book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament. Reading through it, you get this sense of existential angst. And I'd say, just as a side note, that's one of the things I love about the Bible. It's, it's full of surprises. I mean, who would have thought that a whole book of the Bible would be dedicated to eroticism, like the Song of Songs? That's the next book, by the way, but don't let that dis distract you, okay? <laughs> no one would expect that, but I think it's even more shocking to find a book like Ecclesiastes in the Bible He's really saying, what is the point of life? It's all meaningless. And this sense of existential angst. Some scholars have even wondered, is the book atheistic? Well, I think clearly it's not. 
But it's kind of a bit worse than that, in fact. Or a bit darker, at least. It's theistic. The author believes in God. But it's theistic pessimism. Even though you believe in God, there's still this sense of existential angst. And so as we address this question today of what if we don't just rot, I want to look at Ecclesiastes, which kind of explores the first part of that, which is, well, what if we do? So have a look with me. If you have a Bible, have it open and we'll follow along on the screen. I think we're going to have it up there. Perhaps not. Okay, that's fine. Um, Or just listen along. The first verse uh, says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now, I think it's quite clear that we are meant to think of King Solomon, who was David's son. He was a king of Jerusalem. And he's here described as the teacher. Now, the words in Ecclesiastes may not have actually been written by Solomon. In fact, they probably weren't. But the author is conjuring up a a Solomonic-type figure and putting words in his mouth. Now, the word teacher is is a a translation of the Hebrew word kohelet, which which means a gatherer. Kind of like this, getting people together in in a group, in a gathering, in a congregation, and teaching them or speaking to them. And so that's why it's translated teacher, but it doesn't quite capture it. And so I'm going to use the word kohelet, if that's okay. And as I always say, why use an English word when a Hebrew word will do? (laughs) Now, kohelet begins in verse 2 and he says, Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. Well, that's a cracking start to the book, isn't it? Everything is futile. What's he talking about? Well, again, the the word here is a little bit tricky to translate, the word translated futile. The word is literally vapour, the idea of mist or breath or smoke. And he's kind of using it as a metaphor to say everything is like vapour. It just disappears, it just slips through your fingers. Everything in life, everything you do, everything you accomplish, everything you gather for yourself, everything you experience, it's just like mist. It's just going to disappear, slip through your fingers and float off into the atmosphere, never to be seen again. Everything is vapour. And then he continues in verse 3 to ask what I think is the key question of the whole book. So we're not going to really look at the whole book, we're going to top tail it today, but if you want to know the key question of Ecclesiastes, here it is in verse 3. What does a man gain for all his efforts he labours at under the sun? What do you gain for all your efforts, for all your work, for all your study, for all your toil, what do you gain? And the answer is nothing. That's the answer that the book gives. You get nothing for it. You gain nothing. Well, then Kohelet launches into a poem. And you know, poems can be quite lovely about beauty or or love or, or whatever it is. This is a poem about futility. So verse 4, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting, it returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place and they flow there again. The idea is, you look at the world around and it's never completed. Everything just goes around. The sea is never full. It's never satisfying. It just goes around and around. It's endless. It's repetitive. Nothing ever changes. 
And he goes on to say, human life is just like that too. Verse 8, all things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no memory of those who came before and of those who will come after there will also be no memory among those who follow them. Human existence just goes round and round. It's just the same time and time again. Nothing ever changes. Humanity just keeps repeating the same old things. We never arrive. We're never perfected. We never really improve. Kohelet says there's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. And the only reason you think something new has happened, you, the only reason you think it's an it's a incredible thing to see so many people slaughtered, like in Norway, is because you don't have a very good memory. Or you don't have a grasp of history. Change is illusory. It's not real. Nothing changes. It's just that we forget. We forget that it's all happened before. Time and time again. Now, some smarty pants might say, well, the iPad's new. That wasn't around with Kohelet. Well, look, Kohelet's not an idiot. He knows that things get invented and stuff like that. The technology develops. I'm sure it happened in his own lifetime. In fact, he brought some of it about, no doubt. But what he's talking about is the human experience, human existence in this world. We just keep going about doing the same things. We don't actually improve. Everyone thought the 20th century, the age of technology, would elevate humanity. There were more people killed through war and bloodshed in the 20th century than all other centuries combined. Our technology just made us better at doing what we've always done. Well, Kohelet gives us a case study from his own life. Verse 12, he says... I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who are over, uh, over Jerusalem before me and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learnt that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. As the king of Israel, Kohelet recounts many of his great achievements. He is wiser than anyone else before him. He has acquired great knowledge. He has seen everything. He has done everything. He is the great king of his time. He has achieved it all. But then Kohelet reverts this genre. See, in the ancient Near East, other kings in Kohelet's time used to make a great spectacle of their achievements. So they would build great monuments and inscribe their names in these monuments as ways of trying to live forever. At least their name will go down through the ages. Look at my great accomplishment. Look at my big statue. How great am I? Kohelet says, look at all this stuff I've done. And you know what his conclusion is? It's all futile. It's all vapour. 
It means nothing. It's just going to disappear. At this point, it's worth us kind of taking stock of our own lives. You think about your great achievements. What are the things that you've done in your life that you're really proud of? Or what are the great achievements you hope to accomplish one day? What are they? And what did you spend your time doing last week? What did you spend your money on? What did you think about? What did you talk about last week? Kohelet says, it's all futile. It's all vapour. It's all just going to disappear through your fingers. Here today, gone tomorrow. Well, I want to look at the beginning of the book to get that sense of futility that, or existential angst that Kohelet is on about. But then also look at the last chapter where we see the, the ultimate reason that everything is futile. There are actually structural links between the two chapters. In fact, they form an inverted parallelism, but I'm, I'm not going to discuss that now. The answer to the question, why is everything futile, according to Kohelet, is given us to, to us in chapter 12, and the answer is because you're going to die. Because of death. That's why it's futile. Have a look. Chapter 12, verse 1. So remember the Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversary come, and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light are darkened, and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. Now, let's just pause there. Do you catch what's going on? He doesn't just go straight to the snuff out bit. He doesn't go straight to, well, you kill over and die, you kick the bucket. He shows us the lead up to it. The lead up to death is old age. You see that there, verses 1 and 2. The days of adversity. When life just gets a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And the days will approach when you, you have no delight in them. Gone is the excitement of youth. The energy and sparkle and dazzle that you all experience now, whether you know it or not. It will dazzle when you get older, when you look back at it, trust me. Those days are going to be gone. Verse 2, the sun and the light will be darkened. There will be a looming shadow cast over your life as you approach the grave. And we'll get progressively weaker, verse 3. On the day when the guardians of the house tremble and strong men stoop, the women who grind cease because they are few and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly and the doors of the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades when one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint also they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road the almond tree blossoms the grasshopper loses its spring the caperberry has no effect this is a picture of gradual decay the strong man stoops the strong women cease their work. I think Kohelet is quite clever. Because if you're not afraid of death, well, old age isn't something really to be looked forward to. So there's nothing much great about it. And do you know what the conclusion is? Death. 
For man is headed to his eternal home, and mourners will walk around in the street. Before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, and the jar is shattered at the spring, and the well is broken into the well, and the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You're going to get old, you're going to decay, and then you're going to die. And that's why he says, verse 8, absolute futility. Everything is futile. Now, I have to be honest with you, I don't think I'm all that afraid of death. But I am afraid of old age. When I was about 16, my mother sat me down and she told me that my grandmother, her mother, had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I don't really know anything about Parkinson's disease and I figured it can't have been that bad because my grandmother was just the way she's always been. Vibrant, alert, smart, funny, sassy, intelligent, rude. A strong woman. She was American. I thought Parkinson's can't be too bad because she's got it and she's still the way she ever was. How wrong was I? Over the next 10 years, she battled with that disease She progressively decayed. The last two years of her life, she was bound to a wheelchair. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't toilet herself. She couldn't do anything for herself. For the last two years of her life, she couldn't speak. And we didn't really know if she understood us or knew who we were. There were times when I thought, oh, she she understands me. And she knows me. And there were other times when I was sure she had no idea. That's what I'm afraid of. And you know, if you're in that situation, what do you got to look forward to? You're never going to retain, regain your youth. You can't wind the clock back. The only thing ahead of you is death. But what if we don't just rot? If you're a Christian here today, you're probably thinking, okay, this is is how it's going to go down, right? It's going to paint this really bleak picture and then say, ah, the answer is Jesus. Everything's cool. You don't need to worry about any of this. In Jesus, we all live forever and it's all great and happy days. Right? If you're not a Christian, that's what all the Christians are thinking. I want to say it's not that simple, in fact. See, in the New Testament, when we come to the New Testament, the New Testament does not deny anything Kohelet says. In fact, the New Testament affirms everything Kohelet says. Life is hard, you're going to decay, and you're going to die. The New Testament affirms that. That is true. Kohelet is right. But the New Testament also says there's more as well. That is reality under the sun. That is reality in this life, in this world. But there is also a greater reality because of Jesus. 
And at this point I want to turn to uh, part of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. If you have a Bible, look it up. Otherwise, uh, just have a listen. Just a couple of verses. So. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now verse 3 is actually quite complex and I'm not going to unpack it right now. I just want to focus on the second half of the verse. He has given us a new birth into a living hope. When we're born into this world, our only certainty is death. From the moment you take your first breath, the only thing you can be sure of is that one day you will die. When we're born into this world, we're born into a world of many great things, but also of suffering. A world of decay and a world of despair. And if you have not experienced those things, you will. He has given us a new birth into a living hope, not into a life of decay and despair. And this new birth is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died for our rebellion against God. He died on the cross. He took the penalty that we all deserve for the whole of humanity. He paid the price. Three days later, he conquered death. He rose again before many, more than 500 witnesses. And here we're told that if you trust in Jesus, if you hitch your wagon to his wagon, if you put your faith and your confidence in Jesus, then his resurrection becomes your resurrection. You will share in his resurrection from the dead. You will live again. Yes, you will decay. Yes, you will die. Yes, everything you've ever done in this world will be gone one day. And yes, you will be forgotten too. But if you trust in Jesus, that is not the end. We have new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. We are resurrected to eternal life. And we're told in verse 4, into an inheritance that is imperishable. It is not going to decay. It is not going to fade away. It is not going to wither and die. This inheritance is imperishable. It's uncorrupted. It will not be twisted. It will not be stained. It will not be turned in against itself. And it is unfading. It will never grow dim. It will never lose its glory and beauty. That is the greater reality if you believe in Jesus. And that hope of an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away, unlike everything in this life which will be taken away, that hope sheds light into this life here on earth. And it gives us hope and meaning. 
it helps us wrestle with feelings of existential angst. It makes sense of our lives. It gives us meaning and purpose and hope. See, I think all of us here need to grasp hold of these two realities. Reality one, you're going to suffer and die. Everything you ever did is going to come to nothing. And yes, your, your children will remember you, your grandchildren will remember you, but your great-grandchildren, they probably won't even know your name. It'd be like you never existed. That's the first reality and that's true. The second reality is that there is life beyond the grave. If in the first reality everything is cancelled by death, in the second reality death itself is cancelled. I want to tell you about someone who I think grasped these two realities very well. He's a young American missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. And in the 1950s, he, he left the comfort of his home, the wealth of his home, and he went to Ecuador to share the news of Jesus with a tribe in Ecuador. In 1956, he was killed by 10 warriors of that tribe. He was 28 years old. Before he died, he wrote in his journal... Um, something I'm going to share with you. He was reflecting on his life and he was reflecting on just the, the sheer folly of what he was doing in the minds of others. How could, he, how could he do this? How could he give up everything he gave up to do this? What makes sense of this? And this was his answer. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. You see the two realities? What you can never keep is this world. What you can never keep are your achievements and your possessions. What you can never keep is your fame and your power and your human glory. You cannot keep your life. It's vapour, it's mist, it's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. But he saw the other reality. That which you can never lose is found in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy that you have given us hope for life beyond the grave, that death is not the end. And please help those of us here today who are wrestling with these issues of life and death to think through the claims of Jesus and the promises that you have made once we come to him and give our lives to him. We pray in his name. Amen.